we can get some of our best insights by asking customers. Colin S. Levy is a well-known legal tech expert and corporate lawyer, and he's editor of the Handbook of Legal Tech, which is one of the most widely followed legal tech voices on LinkedIn with 25,000 followers. In addition, he's contributed to the legal industry's first comprehensive guide to best practices for creating effective legal documents in Microsoft Word. And he joins me on this bonus episode of The Business of Tech. A new sponsor to the podcast, and I'm excited to have them. Skycake has been a global MSP-focused business for more than 10 years. Their products automate and simplify your cloud operations. Whenever you migrate, manage, or protect your Microsoft 365 users, Skykick is there for you with powerful automation to reduce your workload. I know that their focus for the last few years has been on Microsoft 365 security for your customers. Check them out now to get ahead on security with intelligent customer protection to get approximately $30 more in MRR from every user you have under your Microsoft 365 MSP. Visit skykick.com slash MSP radio to learn more. Well, Colin, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I was intrigued to talk to you because every so often I want to go over onto the to the customer side and, and, and talk to somebody who's steeped in their industry and the use of technology to kind of get a bit of a reality check for those of us that deliver IT services and to understand where your thinking is as a customer. And so I'd kind of like to get a little bit of a, a, an intro question of like, kind of what's the lay of the land right now from that intersection of, of legal and technology? Yeah, so it's an interesting, I think, evolution from where there was historically a lot of tension and resistance to technology and law in general. Uh, to where now you're seeing a much tighter integration and actual collaborative efforts between uh, technology folks and legal folks to support solutions, develop solutions, and iterate on existing solutions, both for internal purposes as well as for external clients. And I think we're seeing that uh, in a variety of ways, including with the rise of sort of law firm uh, tech subsidiaries, which are devoted to the creation of tech solutions in conjunction with clients and also sort of the incubation of potential new um, sort of individual entities or solutions for the use either internally or with clients. And that's exciting to see, uh, particularly given how for such a long time, the legal industry was kind of a island unto itself and kind of thought itself immune to all these global um, evolutionary changes taking place, largely driven by technology. Now, one of the things we talk about all the time now is this kind of every business is becoming a technology business and everybody is invested and has to be technology. And I want to make sure that we're talking about something a little bit more than just, hey, I need computers and hey, I write in Word. And even down from the basics of just sort of, I would assume there's some basic customer relationship management, case management software. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of the bits that are are above that, that are the valuable technology investments? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of different uh, tools being used. Um, we're seeing a lot of use of workflow and business management tools to help manage the law firm or the legal department with respect to managing invoices, managing vendors, outside counsel, um, resources, 
tracking who's working on what thing, who last touched what thing, um, and also automating some of that, including the creation of documents, for example, for a law firm like the intake of a client. Now we're seeing the automation where, you know, you complete a form, your information's then submitted, a document gets automatically created, gets sent out to you, you then sign, you begin work with the law firm. Um, we're also seeing portals where clients and law firms or legal departments and cli internal clients can work collaboratively on documents or workflows or what have you. So those are kind of, I think, the tactical solutions that exist right now um, that are really impactful. And I personally am a big advocate of those before you turn to some of the larger, more complex platforms out there, because often you want to have a solid digital foundation before you start putting in place something more complex that assumes you already have that foundation in place. Now, you also alluded to the fact that it sounds like people are building specific products that, that law firms are using products using with their customers. Can you give me an example or, or two of what's going on there in terms of, you know, building their own technical IP? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I have a really good friend who is a partner at a big uh, U.S. law firm uh, out of Chicago, uh, and they have a tech subsidiary. And he happens to be not just a partner of the law firm, but a founder of his own legal tech company focused on workflow management. And so the firm and the firm's clients are thinking about, you know, potentially using this this product. And so that's one example of a lawyer who is a law firm partner actually creating a product for purposes for the law firm as well as for the law firm's clients. Uh, and we've seen others as well, including the creation of sort of document um, review platforms or document automation tools that um, are often created by lawyers for either just their specific team or perhaps a larger organization within the firm or the legal department. Uh, Microsoft, for example, has been doing a lot of interesting things, not just with AI as perhaps they're most well known for right now um, in that space. So, you know, there's a lot of, I think, really interesting innovation taking place on the legal department and law firm side. Um, there was also a lot of just noise and talk about it as well. But there is some actual real work being done, as I mentioned, which is exciting to see and something I think we're going to see more of going forward. We're only a few minutes in and you dropped the AI one first. Uh, I was going to ask about that. So I'm going to use that as an opening to ask. Like, so obviously it's, it's kind of on top of mind for most of us right now is, is what, are, what are the implications on AI? It would feel like legal is one of those spaces that would be thinking a lot about this. What's going, what's the lay of the land? What's going on with the thinking on AI right now? So I think there's a couple of things. I think there's this extension, existential question of what it means to be a lawyer because artificial intelligence, particularly generative AI is automating a lot of sort of the day to day tactical work that lawyers do, creating documents, drafting them, reviewing them, all of that. So that's raising a question of, okay, well, what else does a lawyer do before? beyond that and what should the lawyer be doing versus what should you have technology like AI be doing? And that I think is an evolving question that remains one that uh, is not fully answered quite yet. I also think there's a lot, uh, some experimentation of AI and generative AI in terms of its use for reviewing documents and uh, creating documents and or using it to drive trend analysis or analytics on perhaps litigation and case data as well. Uh, I think the challenge though, at least for lawyers is around data, use of data in the keeping it confidential and its 
being used or being shared with these models for purposes of training or other purposes. And that is giving a lot of lawyers pause, which I think points to a current debate right now is around sort of the ethical and regulatory landscape with respect to AI, what it should look like, who should be in task with doing it, enforcing it, and so on. And I think that's sort of a, also a larger question writ large for AI in society is, you know, as AI continues to grow in power and influence, you know, who's to say what should or shouldn't be used uh, with AI or what AI should or shouldn't be doing? So broadly speaking, and knowing that you can't give specific legal advice to someone in this context, but just broadly speaking, what's the kind of guidance that you're giving to customers when they're asking the, the questions about exactly what you're talking about? What's the guidance you're giving? Yeah, so the guidance generally is you want to experiment, you want to learn because AI is not going anywhere. So best case is to try it out with things, with data that is not confidential, is not does not matter but is just basic data that, you know, you don't mind sharing, but you need something done with that data that would be time consuming. It would otherwise take you a long time to do, but you know the AI can do it or at least can try to do it. So that would be something I would go about doing it. Basically create kind of a safe sandbox for you to go about creating work or trying out AI solutions to do work for you that doesn't involve the use of confidential data. Uh, and then when it comes to working with vendors, um, I think, you know, you, as, you know, for me as a client or as, as someone who's looking at potential using vendors, you know, I want to know kind of how they're using my data and how it's protected. And I think it's incumbent upon vendors to be transparent and as forthright as I can about that. Um, and so that'd be the other piece of advice I would give. Um, again, I'm not anyone's individual lawyer. This is not legal advice, but this is my educated uh, advice that someone seeped in this space. So I want to give you a premise and I want you to, to get your reaction to it. So I, one of my thinkings is, is that the, that particularly as we think about AI and exactly the questions that you've brought up about frameworks, about ethics, about the way that it's going to be implemented, data concerns. This feels like an area where IT services companies and IT departments can be a very, very valuable contributor. And this is an incredible, valuable service offering to bring that expertise to bear with customers. What's your take on that premise? Sorry, you cut out for a minute there. So I heard the second half no of problem. the question. I will do it again. It's no problem. So one, of, I want you to react to a premise. And one of the things that I've been talking about with on the show is, is that with all of the questions that you brought up with AI, the idea of frameworks and ethics and the questions of data security and data privacy that need to be answered, this looks to me like a space where IT services companies can be incredibly valuable and can deliver expertise and advisory services that help customers answer those questions. And I'd like to get your take on that premise. Like, what do you think of that? I generally, in theory, agree with you. I think that certainly IT services can provide some expertise because they're steeped in this space and understand um, a lot of sort of the technical backend pieces of it. I think the challenge is that there may be different levels of both technical and business expertise around use of these tools. And some of that may get mixed in with sort of a passion for wanting other people to use it. So I think there has to be a little bit of a tempering of kind of the passion for it 
with realistic use of it in ways that are sound, both practically and legally. Um, so I do think there is room certainly for those advisory services, but it has to be in a way that meets the people, meets the clients, if you will, where they are. And so I think while you want to be passionate and be knowledgeable, you have to think about it from the client's perspective and approach them from that perspective. Great, great advice. And I will also say that the one of the reasons I like these things, I always say, Quip, I like complex problems because they're difficult to solve and thus great services opportunities. But I want to broaden our conversation a little bit and, and ask you to, to give me a little guidance on the, the steps that you think about, about building and developing legal technology products and services the right way. It's like, what's that, what's that process look like for you? Sure. Uh, I can sort of give a brief little step-by-step. -step. I think it starts number one with identifying the problem specifically. Uh, I think often there's a tendency with technology to get very excited about the technology that exists and how there's so much of it and oh, it's all super exciting and there's just so many different solutions and they all seem to do these wonderful, you know, life-changing things. Well, that's, may or may not be true. It depends on what problem it is you're trying to solve. So that starts with, again, understanding what it is that you're trying to solve, why it's a problem, and then using that answer then to help define your search for potential solution. You know, because if you don't know what problem it is you're trying to solve, but you know you have a problem, you just be overwhelmed by the amount of solutions that exist out there. And you may end up putting in place a solution that may not be the best one for you. So after you identify the problem, then you want to identify the people involved with that problem, not that they're creating that problem, but they are experiencing it. So it could be users, it could be uh, users plus sort of stakeholders. It, you know, you want to identify those people. And once you've identified them, you want to talk with them and understand kind of what it is that they do, why they do it, where the issue comes up and how it's an issue for them. And so once you have done that and understand your people and then they're telling you, them telling you their firsthand experience of that problem, along with your problem identification work you did earlier prior to talking to them, then you can start evaluating solutions because then you have an idea of kind of the types of people you're trying to solve the problem for and what the problem is. And then the third step is bring the people along as you're evaluating potential solutions whether it's a specific tool, whether it's a vendor, whatever it is, have them be brought along so they can give you their feedback and take their feedback into account. And also have them kind of bringing them along gives them buy into the process as well, makes, which makes them more likely to want to work with the solution and also use the solution because you don't want to end up with the solution no one uses because then you just made an expensive investment that basically is shelfware that is useless. So that's kind of, I think, the three-step process I would outline. And I get it. It's not as easy as ABC. It takes time. Change management is hard. People aren't really all that good with change. And that, I think, is endemic to humans. Once we find something that works, we tend to want to stick with it, even if that way it works degrades over time a little bit, uh, just because it's something we know and are comfortable with. And going into something new means being somewhat uncomfortable. And that can you know, be a little bit difficult for people. So you kind of really want to make sure that you're checking in with people and bringing them along through each stage of the process to ensure that they're comfortable, at least to the degree to which they are comfortable being comfortable with where you are in the process. Cool. Interesting. So, so one of the things that I talk about a lot on the show is the idea of, of measuring technology business outcomes by impact on revenue. 
And I would be interested to hear from you, particularly as, as you know, somebody in, in the operation side of a, of a law practice, like, can you share a specific example from your experience where technology has been a useful tool that's helped drive revenue in the sort of lawyer's tool belt? Yeah. Uh, so I work for a company that actually makes a solution that does just that. So I'm a transactional lawyer. Uh, I do a lot of deals, a lot of contracts. Uh, and often that means reviewing these contracts, managing them, keeping track of who last touched them, who last kind of proposed edits them, what all of that. And the solution that, that my company offers and makes helps with all those different issues. And so that's made a big difference in my life because now instead of having to email back and forth versions of the agreement, be like, did you look at this? Did you approve this? Did you approve this? Did you review this? Did you edit this? I can now go into our solution see who last touched it, what version we're at, see what edits were made, respond to those edits, tag people in the system so they get notification and then can respond accordingly. And, you know, the it doesn't get locked, lost in their email. And so all of that just makes for a much more productive, cohesive and efficient contracting process that directly impacts revenue and our ability to grow, our ability to increase revenue and our ability to protect the existing revenue we have because we're tracking when contracts are up for renewal and all of that. So all of that is to say that a contract management solution is an excellent way for a lot of businesses to protect and grow revenue because contracts are essentially the, the underbelly of businesses. They undergird revenue. Well, that's, that's a great place to, to sort of end this with some opportunities. So Colin, if people are interested in learning more about your work, where can they go? So they can go to a variety of places. They can go on LinkedIn, Colin Levy, that's my name. You can find me there. Then go to my website, colinslevy.com. That's C-O-L-I-N-S-L-E-V-Y.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter slash, slash X, uh, C-Levy underscore law, C-L-E-V-Y underscore L-A-W. And also, if you're interested in the intersection of law and tech, check out my book, The Legal Tech Ecosystem. Uh, that's available on Amazon. Awesome. Well, Colin, thanks for joining me. This has been fascinating, and I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Are you and your clients tired of the time-consuming ticket tennis of coordinating meetings and help desk calls? Wouldn't it be better to automate this process with a tool that connects directly to ConnectWise Manage or Autotask. TimeZest offers scheduling automation that gives you complete control of your schedule and eliminates the hassle of calendar ping pong. As the only service designed specifically for MSPs, it integrates into your workflow and makes scheduling appointments easy on you and your clients. Plus, you can try TimeZest for free. Visit timezest.com slash Radio. And use the code MSP Radio to get 10% off your first year of TimeZest. The Business of Tech is written and produced by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines, posted at businessof.tech. If you like the content, please make sure to hit that like button and follow or subscribe. It's free and easy and the best way to support the show and help us grow. You can also check out our Patreon, where you can join the Business of Tech community at patreon.com slash mspradio, or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. Finally, if you're interested in advertising on the show, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Once again, thanks for listening to me, and I will talk to you again on our next episode of the Business of Tech. Bye.
Part of the MSP Radio Network.